Our 100th episode is coming up at the beginning of February, and I want to hear from you. I've been talking about this the last few weeks, and I mean it. Go visit our website, restaurantstrategypodcast.com. You'll see a link in the upper right corner. It says record a message. Do that. Click that button. It'll take you to a page. You'll see there's a like a rough script I want you to follow. Just tell me your name, where you're from, and tell me something that you've learned, some something you've gotten out of the podcast here. We're, we're coming up on two years, and I know uh, I know the community is growing. I know a lot of you guys have gotten a lot of uh, value from this show, and I want to hear from you. I, w- I want you guys to hear from each other. Uh, so please go do that. Take a few minutes. It can be five seconds long. It can be as long as five minutes long, Wh- whatever you feel comfortable with. I've already received a bunch of messages already, putting together a really great 100th episode. It's going to be celebrating you guys. Please help me do that. Restaurantstrategypodcast.com. Click the blue button that says record a message. There's an old saying goes something like this. You'll only find three kinds of people in the world. Those who see, those who will never see, and those who can see when shown. This is Restaurant Strategy, a marketing podcast for anyone who's looking. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. My name is Chip Close and this is Restaurant Strategy, a marketing podcast dedicated entirely to the restaurant industry. Each week we discuss the tools, tactics, and strategies that will establish you as a leader in your market. I want to help you do more covers and drive more revenue. If you've been with us for a while, you know that I usually go back and forth from week to week. So mostly I do a, a monologue style format where I choose a specific topic and then we spend that episode uh, picking that topic apart. But then every so often uh, I do an interview and to start the year, to start 2021, I promise to bring you a series of great interviews. Today is a great interview. But before we get to that conversation, I want to let you know that today's episode is brought to you by Bento Box, a website, e-commerce and marketing platform for restaurants. Over 6,000 restaurants worldwide rely on Bento Box to drive high margin revenue and connect with guests through their websites, including those of Jose Andres Think Food Group and Danny Myers Union Square Hospitality Group. Bento Box provides restaurants with powerful tools such as direct online ordering and the ability to sell gift cards, merchandise, tickets, and more directly on your website. To further support the restaurant community during COVID-19, Restaurant Strategy listeners are going to receive 50% off their setup fee when they sign up for Bento Box by March 29th. Get started today by visiting getbento.com slash restaurant strategy. Again, that's G-E-T-B-E-N-T-O dot com slash restaurant strategy. So my guest on today's episode is Stephen Hall. He is a friend and longtime colleague. He's also the owner of Hall PR, which is based here in New York City. He's been in the industry uh, for a long time, and I thought this would be a great opportunity to talk all about PR. Stephen, welcome to the show. Chip, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here, and I can't see you, but it would be. But uh, it's a pleasure to hear your voice. Absolutely. It's good to connect. Um, So this is a marketing podcast. PR and marketing uh, have a lot in common. There's certainly a a lot of overlap. And we'll get into that, you know, as we get into this interview. But um, if you can, to start things off, give us a definition. What is PR? Uh, What is PR not? What do you do on a daily basis? Um, Start there. 
So it's quite interesting what PR is because I have this conversation often with our clients and truthfully, um, it's not a science. You know, we, we, I always tell everybody we sell air, we sell space, we sell words, we sell stories, we sell ideas. And we work directly with journalists of all mediums on a daily basis who will then tell the stories of our clients to the people that care to read them. And then hopefully those people who read them will turn into guests of the restaurant or buyers of the products or uh, guests at the hotel, whatever it may be. So a lot of our work is communications and the the real meaning of PR is public relations and people always get that confused a little bit with marketing because marketing really does go to the public B2C business to consumer business to business we are actually media relations and we go directly to the media to tell the stories of our clients some of them are obvious stories. Some of them are stories that we make up. Some of them are stories that the media comes to us with and wants to tell. And we have a client that fits what they're looking for. Right. So in the, you know, the old trifecta, right, owned, earned and paid media, you know, owned media is anything you create for yourself. Certainly that's like social media, that's website, all of that. Paid is very obvious. That's paid advertising. And you're really the third leg of that, you know, the earned media, just trying to get uh, clients placed in various publications of, of all different sorts. Right, exactly. And um, we have a, a saying that is, you know, anybody can advertise, anybody can start an Instagram feed, but not anybody can get written about. Yeah. So we go after, we work with people who have stories to tell, and then hopefully they're compelling enough to get journalists excited, interested, and therefore the public as well. Yeah, so I want to dive into that, but I want to take a step back uh, really quick, if we can, uh, just to give the listeners some perspective. Um, talk about your background a little bit. How did you first get into this? How did you, how did you wind up down this road and get to where you are now? So it was a lonely existence. For <laughs> um, you know, I worked in restaurants for 10 years. I was a theater kid and I, I loved the arts um, and I loved music and I loved all the things that nobody ever got hired for or made any money. So <laughs> we all go, we all went into restaurants, correct? Right. It was the, right. was uh, as one restaurant manager that I worked with many, many years ago said, the restaurant is the wasteland of the genius. <laughs> make it in any other um, normal sort of existence, wind up working in restaurants. And truthfully, I fell in love with restaurants. I felt that they were, it was, they were interesting, interesting people worked there. You got to talk about food all the time, which was just fascinating to a chubby little boy from Flushing, you know? Um, and it was, and it opened up a world to me that I didn't, knew no existed um and i always found them to be fascinating places and i thought that they were incredibly theatrical and loving theater as much as i did and still do they were places that i wanted to be um i was fascinated by people who were able you know people were getting engaged at one table divorced at another table first date at another table families gathering and as a server you kind of had to juggle everything that was going on in your particular station with all the different experiences and why people were there. So I found that to be fascinating because I've always been a really big ad-libber. 
So I found that to be fascinating, and and I love and I love them. So I kind of left the other, you know, my my dream of um, being the conductor of the Philharmonic aside, and I stayed um, working in restaurants, and um, I eventually went into restaurant management, which I decided was not the job for me. And then the last job that I had in restaurants combined both of my loves together because I was the manager of the jazz club at Iridium um, when it was across the street from Lincoln Center. And it was um, it married my love of jazz and my love of food. And I thought after that, I didn't want to manage another restaurant because that was kind of it for me. And um, at that point, um, when I was searching for what it was I was going to do next, um, a person that I knew who was in PR said to me, why don't you go into PR? And I said, what do I do? And she said, well, you kind of do the same thing that you do at the restaurant, except instead of doing it at a table to guests, you do it to journalists over the phone. And I was like, well... I give good phone. At that point, there was no email. This was 25 long years ago. (laughs) And I said, I give good phone. And I quit my job. And two weeks later, I became a publicist. And I worked at this agency for approximately eight months. But I was, it was kind of a right place, right time kind of thing for me, because all the people that I knew who had worked in restaurants with me, they were line cooks when I was a server and a restaurant manager, they were becoming chefs. And when they found out I was in PR, they came to me and said, well, we want you to do our PR. And I was like, okay, well, I have to bring it into this company that I'm working with. And they were like, why? And I said, well, because I have this job. So one very wise restaurant owner who I credit with the godfather of my company named Simon Oren, who owns a bucket load of restaurants now, said to me, well, why don't you open up your own business out of our restaurant? And then we'll give you your first, you, you know, we'll give you the, your first clients. So I was like, you don't say no when an opportunity like that comes to you. And that's yeah. exactly what I did. Um, so in 1996, I started the agency with a uh, business partner. And, um, and, and the rest, as they say, is history. Um, we started out of a restaurant called Mad Fish, which was located on Broadway and 77th Street, which doesn't exist anymore. And since then went on to open up all of Oren's restaurants, which include Five Napkin Burger, Marseille, Nismetan, Cafe d'Alsace, Barbunia, at that time Sushi Samba, Express. And I'm very proud to say that to this day, um, these restaurants are still clients, not on a not on a consistent basis, but as projects come up, and we'll be working on a new restaurant opening with them that we were planning on opening before the lockdown. But um, now we'll wait until indoor dining is back. So it's a testament to us and a testament to them that um, we've had the, a 25 year relationship with this restaurant group. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that's the the key word, and, and we'll certainly come back to this time and time again. But so much of what you do uh, is uh, you trade in relationships. It is about um, networking and the connections and and all of that that you bring to the table. Um, uh, certainly, in the relationships you build with restaurateurs and um, and other operators, and the relationships you build with uh, with public with um, I'm sorry with uh, with journalists and reporters. Well, yes, for sure. I mean, it is the the relationships that we have are the reason people hire us, and it's also you know it's not just the the relationship with the journalist, but it's the relationship with the client. You know, when I started the company in 1996, the food world wasn't what it is now. It was just beginning to be what it is now. 
And it yeah. was really interesting to watch the growth. And I'm sad in some ways that my work PR, that my PR work and the field that I work in has almost become like lifestyle PR as opposed to people that are really passionate about food. They're more passionate about restaurants and being in them as places to be as opposed to what they're eating. And I've always prided myself and my company on the fact that we pitch like a chef. That was always the phrase that I would say to people. We pitch like the way you cook. We don't pitch in this sort of unknowledgeable way, which is why a lot of the clients that I've had for all the years that I've been in business have stayed with the agency and come back to the agency at various times, even if they've gone to work with other people in between, just because of our knowledge of what they do on a daily basis. Yeah, I think that is, uh, that's really true. I'm, I'm glad you highlighted that because, you know, what Food Network famously launches in what, 1994, 95, and you can draw a straight line uh, just from the industry from there to, to where we are here. Um, and that you were there, you really had a front row seat, you know, and, and participated in, in all of that, which I think is fascinating. Yeah, no, for sure. And it was, like I say, it was another a right place, right time kind of moment. Okay. So then tell me, um, so explain to me a little bit because, so I'm a restaurant and somebody says, oh, oh, you need PR, you need a PR company. And then they decide to call you and they say, hey, I was, I was told that we need PR. And, uh, so I'm calling you. And, and you tell me, like, you know, I'm sure you get calls like that. Um, you get somebody who just hears that this is a good idea. <laughs> how does that conversation start? How do you explain what it is you're going to do for them or how you're going to work together? How does that relationship uh, start getting built? So it really does get built in that way. Usually what happens, because a lot of our work is word of mouth, um, we usually get uh, calls from potential clients who have either liked the work that we've done for another another restaurant brand or another food brand. And then also, if, it, if it's a sous chef that worked with a chef that we represented, then, you know, they, and now they're going on to become a chef of their own. <clears throat> then we would sometimes, you know, they would call us too, and um, and and that would be a potential client. So a lot of times they kind of already know what we do, um, but when they don't know what we do, I listen to them and I say, "What's your story? Who are you? Why would um, somebody be interested in writing about what it is that you're doing?" what makes it compelling, what excites you. And I tried kind of to get into the head of the potential client a little bit so that when I write a proposal for them, I'm telling them how I'm going to then tell their story to the press. And see, this is where the overlap happens so much in PR and marketing. And certainly uh, we've had conversations like this over the years, you know, about this topic. But um, so much of the things that I talk about here, uh, even on the show, and the, the listeners will know this, I say, you know, what are the stories only you can tell? What sets you apart from everybody else? And uh, it seems like that's what you're trying to get get you pretty quickly uh, in the beginning, right? Yes, very much so. And then it's interesting because then people tend to get pigeonholed because sometimes people don't realize that there's only limited amount of space. So there are things, so we have to make it as succinct as possible. We have to boil it down to its most common denominator so that the media understands it and that the public understands it. So if you start saying things like, well, it's 
global cuisine that has a touch of Thailand mixed with Burma and mixed with a little <laughs> bit of the chef's heritage from the Philippines. It's you've lost me already. You know, you've lost. Right. Me what is it? So we have to define we have to we have to define who our people are without selling them short and not expressing their differences. Yeah, so that's that's interesting. I mean, I assume that would present a, a lot of challenges because you do. You have to, you know, find the most interesting trait about a chef or about a restaurant, the thing that's really going to separate them from all the other restaurants out there. Um, and yet it's like a double-edged sword, right? I mean, you if you if you if it make that too interesting, if you make that too specific, uh, then you cut yourself out of other opportunities. Right. And you have to, and you also have to listen to the public and the tastes of the public. One of the things that I love is how the public's tastes changed over the years and restaurants that weren't really media savvy, um, and weren't getting press now are being discovered because they're they're real and they're telling a real story and that to me is fascinating and that to me is really interesting also and how the public tastes have changed and the media has changed so it's kind of like so everybody um works together at developing what these new trends are because chefs start to cook a certain way and then journalists start to write about the way that the chef is cooking and then the public starts to get a hunger for that particular food or that particular flavor combination or you know food from a specific region and then they want more to know more so they go to their supermarket and they say you know, do you carry lemongrass? And the super and the supermarket's like, what? What's that? You have to go to that Asian store to get lemongrass. And then some wise person says, you know, we should really carry lemongrass because a lot of people are requesting it. So it's kind of like this. It's really this lovely cycle that you see um, develop, which which I think is really interesting. And a lot of it stems from the work that chefs do, restaurants do, food professionals do, and then we do. We create that desire. Yeah. So I want to talk. I want to talk more about that because really, what you're talking about is culture and everything you're describing. And you could have just you know spoken about fashion. Yes, for sure, one hundred percent. So then, how do you? So then, how do you begin to do that? So again, uh, I'm going to use this example of somebody comes in. They don't know exactly what you do. They don't know exactly what to expect about the process or about the relationship uh, between themselves, the restaurant, and. Uh, the PR agency, your company, uh, how does that go to the next level? So if you, you identify kind of their story, you start committing that to paper to a degree, where does it go from there? So it comes, then we, when we eat together, you know, we, 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 we enjoy each other's company. We get to know each other. It's a getting to know you process. You know, um, we, we go and we eat the food of the, uh, potential client and we see where their talent is, uh, and not to criticize like a critic would, but to just see what they're about, you know, what personality do they add to what's being put on the plate? How can we tell their story through the food that people are going to consume? So we start that way and we start to talk to them a little bit about their influences, where they're, um, wh how they, how they started cooking, what got people involved in cooking, what got the restaurateur involved in becoming a restaurant owner. 
what is as going back to what we were talking about before what is their personal story what is their what what path do they follow that nobody else did so we get into their heads a little bit and then we put all of that on paper and we write what is called a press release which is basically a one pager that tells the story of the restaurant with all the little bits and pieces in it that a writer might need to know besides the fact that the you know how many seats there are or that the uh, the food is a specific cuisine or that the walls are blue and the floor is wood and the ceiling is um, wooden beams, whatever, whatever it may be. We try it and frame the story in that press release. And then we do what we call pitching. We reach out to the journalists that we know are interested in um, in restaurants. If it's a brand new place, we have a specific um you know, what we call totem pole that we go to, which tells us this person needs to get it first because of their lead time based on what their publication is, then this person needs to get it, that person needs to get it, or they're located in a certain area of town that is speaking to a different demographic than what one publication has. So let's focus our attention on the publications that are read by the demographic that this one restaurant is going to read, uh, is, you know, is going to go to. So we, we kind of, we analyze it and then we put together a strategic plan and a hit list of who we want to go after. Yeah, and it's so interesting as you're talking about it, because again, you're starting to talk about all the things that we talk about in marketing. And, um, you know, famously, I, I kind of always say there, there are five steps uh, to marketing your restaurant uh, that nobody ever wants to do, but they're super, super important uh, before you start doing all the uh, the typical traditional uh, marketing things that you want to do. You want to do, you know, ads, you want to do social media, you want to build out your website, you're going to put together an email strategy, all of that. But really, first and foremost, you got to figure out, you know, who you are, who you're for, meaning like who are you trying to serve, who wants what you have, who so desperately needs what you have, you know, how do you segment them and, and identify them and, and track them down, who else is trying to serve that same audience, right? Like who are the competitors, you know, and then how can you separate yourself from those competitors? All those steps have to happen before you can market a restaurant. And what you're basically saying is that's the exact same stuff that you need to know before you start pitching a restaurant, before you start figuring out uh, who needs to learn about this restaurant. Yes, 100%. I keep telling, I say that our work is, comes in waves and we cast a very wide net at first because we can't dictate who's going to read the New York Times or who's going to read New York Magazine. Clearly, they have a demographic, but 5 million people read the New York Times or 9 million people or 9 million people read New York Magazine. So that's a lot of people. But who actually came to the restaurant because of that article? Tell me that. And also tell me when nobody came because of an article. Then I also know that that publication is not speaking to the demographic that would frequent your restaurant. Right, and this is such a, you know, a constant evolution, um, figuring out, you know, who your people are, where do you find them, where are they getting their news? I mean, certainly this has shifted in five years, 10 years, 20 years, right? I mean, you know, it used to be, you know, you got your information from one place, now you get it from another place, now you get it from somewhere else. I mean, two years ago, we were talking all about influencers, and now, you know, heart, I mean, pandemic aside, uh, influencers aren't nearly kind of the, the conversation piece that they that they once were. It was Yelp, and now it's not so much. And and so, you know, keeping your, your finger on the pulse there is, uh, is certainly not an easy task. 
it's it's very important and you know and the truth is that everybody wants to play in every medium but not every medium is right for the audience that goes to uh that's going to frequent the restaurant or hotel or or, or whatever just because you want to be on tiktok doesn't mean that anybody on tiktok is going to come to your restaurant so true just, so that is, you know, that that is, it's it's important, and it's important to know. As I say all the time, and I think you've heard me say this before, and um, and many people have heard me say it because I say it almost every day. Is a ba- very famous chef once said to me, Stephen, no one ever got hungry reading the Wall Street Journal, <laughs> and and I and and I had to agree with him, of course, and then he prefaced it by saying, but that doesn't mean I don't want to be in the Wall Street Journal. I just realized that it might not bring me in the same, I might not get the same response from it as I would from a food section of the New York Times or the, uh, you know, New New York Magazine or Eater.com or Food and Wine or Bon Appetit, you know? Yes. that's a very sp- focused audience. People who are reading the food section are interested in food. I love it when I get a story that's outside of the food section and people actually do come in to the restaurant because of it. And that shows me that people that read the metropolitan section or the business section are just as interested in the restaurant as people who read the food section. And maybe I'm getting a slightly different audience because I'm not getting that weekly Wednesday food devotee. Right, right. I, that, I mean, that's an old holdover too from from the theater. I mean, theater uh, producers are always famous for for thinking like that, right? Like, uh, of course we can be in the in the theater section. Of course we can, you know, but but are we going to get outside? How can we get outside of that? And the, and the, the big shows, right? The big, the big things that are kind of cultural stories uh, are really good at, at kicking into other sections in the newspaper. Same thing is true with, uh, with restaurants. Yeah, no, it's very true. If, if I, I tell everybody often that if I get hired by a steakhouse, I would assume that they're going to get written about when somebody's writing an article about steakhouses. But it's partially my job to get them written about when the article is not about steakhouses. Yeah. So then let's get into a little – I want to drill down a little bit more and get uh, more specific because I've had the opportunity uh, to watch you and your team work firsthand. And uh, and it's really fascinating and it's really uh, really interesting to watch people who are, who are good at this, um, you know, pitch stories and, and you know – Put clients together and, and you know, again, like kind of bring stories to certain writers and say, hey, this is our client. They're doing this. And we think there's a kind of a cultural trend going on. Uh, you can see that because X, Y and Z, other restaurants around town are also doing it. And the first time I saw you guys do this, I thought that was really interesting that you'd, you know, try to get your client um, press uh, by kind of giving other places press as well. And it was like a, it's a tool that you guys use from time to time. Yes, for sure. Because um, a lot of times people um, are writing an article about a trend and not necessarily about one particular place. So it doesn't make any sense to just pitch yours because we are servicing the journalist. Our clients are important to us, of course, but long after our client may come and go, we are still going to have that relationship with the journalist. And my job is to make their lives easier. I think that's so interesting. If I pitch turtle soup um, and I say, I've got a client doing turtle soup, they'll be like, okay, well, is anybody else doing turtle soup? And if I give them three to four places that are doing turtle soup at the same time, I've already saved a step. Right. 
But I think that's such a, there's something uh, very counterintuitive about that, or at least that was my impression when I kind of learned about this and, and saw saw your team doing this. Uh, but the more I've had time to really think about it, I just thought that's really interesting. And again, there's that relationship world, word is that, you know, you've got to preserve and continue to nurture uh, that relationship because that's going to pay dividends on and on and on, not just for that one client, because there's going to be another story and another story and another story, but for all your other clients, you know, and maintaining in good standing. I, I think it's, I think it's really smart. Yeah. Thank you. Well, it's something that, you know, it's, it's not, this is not about being greedy. This is about getting, I'm, I'm aware of what the media writes about and how they write. And I tell my clients straight up, you know, it's not always only about you. Yeah. You know, one of the interesting things uh, about what you do and, and how you do this job, um, and I always, always thought it was interesting, is that um, you're really uh, attuned to uh, to what a, a critic is going to say, what they're going to think, how they're going to write about something, um, how a certain paper or an editor or uh, a journalist is going to write about it, and um, and helping the client see that and say, you know, we can do this, but this is what they're going to write about it, or, or this is how they're going to view you. And, and and you've used that then to, you know, to go beyond just doing their publicity, just handling uh, their, their their public relations. But you use that to really help shape uh, and define uh, kind of the direction of the restaurant. Can you speak to that a little bit? Well, I mean, yes, we do that. Uh, that's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, yeah, I mean, what's important is it's it's interesting and then and now and you touched on it a little bit before about critics you know what everybody wants to be reviewed in the new york times you know this is like the pinnacle everybody wants to be reviewed in new york magazine everybody wants to be reviewed but you know but ultimately a, a critic is like anybody else they're a writer first and they want to tell a story so they have to kind of find that story in what it is that you're doing and it's our job to kind of weave that story together with our clients and there are certain items, menu items that we would come across and, you know, and I always tell everybody just because everybody else eats it or just because everybody has it on their menu, that doesn't mean you have to have it on yours. Just because the guy next door to you has a Caesar salad doesn't mean you have to have a Caesar salad if it doesn't fit into who you are and what your individuality is. Ultimately, People want to tell your story. People want to tell a story, whether it's in the guise of a review or an editorial, and they need something that excites them. You know, they need something that is, you know, that is somewhat explosive. And I explain that you have to understand that the person who's coming into your French restaurant at night may have had lunch in an Indian restaurant or uh, may have had lunch in a Spanish restaurant or whatever it may be. And they're constantly being um, overloaded with flavor because they're going to all of these different restaurants that serve all of these different kinds of cuisines. So what's going to make yours really stand out to, in their mouth, you know, to their palates and also in their minds? So we always look at all aspects of our restaurants when we are pitching because service, atmosphere, music, bathroom cleanliness, hot cups of coffee, clean silverware, glassware are just as important as the food when it comes into a review when it comes to a review. It's on it's never just one thing. Now, all of the food may get written about more in the amount of space that this critic has to tell the story, but 
you cannot deny that all of the other aspects that are going on at the restaurant at the same time are playing a part in what that critic is looking at and what that story is that they're going to tell. Are there instances, I'm sure there are instances, you've been doing this a very long time, but uh, what would make you say no to a potential client? Someone comes to you and they're looking for services and you go through the process and you say no. Uh, What are some of the reasons why you might say no? Um, I might say no if I feel that there is just, where it's just too generic, where there's no real, there's no I hate to keep using the same thing, but there's no real story to tell. Sometimes if it's just too generic, it doesn't, it's never going to get press and it's not going to get press past the fact that here's a new restaurant. So if I don't feel like we could play with it for a long period of time, um, I won't work with it. And, and I also won't work with anybody that refuses to change. Yeah, It's just like, you know, you've got to adapt and you've got to change. Um, and you've got to offer new things if you want to continuously get press. One of the beauties about being a chef and one of the beauties about being a restaurant is the fact that you can always change. There's always something new in the market that you can add to your menu. And if you refuse to do that and you just want to stay the same, then there's no press for you. You know, I'm so sick of talking about the pandemic. I think people are starting to get sick of hearing about the pandemic. Uh, But regardless, we are still in the midst of a pandemic. And I think that's something uh, that's a really important point that I think uh, people either learned these last nine months or they didn't learn these last nine months. Just how easy, not not easy, I don't mean to to, to simplify it or to make light of the situation, but uh, to your point, just how easy it is, how possible it is to change, right? We're not, uh, most of the people listening to this uh, podcast uh, don't run 500 unit uh, chains. They run a restaurant or two restaurants, or you have a group of six restaurants or eight restaurants. And uh, for the most part, you know, you can stay pretty nimble. You can change with tastes. Um, you can help redefine tastes by the by the things you put on or take off. Um, that, that that's That's all within our grasp. Yes, I I agree. And I will say that I have never been prouder of the industry than the way that then then in in these last nine months in the way that they have worked. Um, When restaurants in March were told to shut down and they had food in their refrigerators, they cooked for hospital workers and nobody asked them to. They just did. Um, And, you know, they some people adapted their menus, which were better for takeout. Um, and delivery instead of some of the things that they served. And all they cared about was, I at least want to keep one staff member gainfully employed. So they stayed open even when there was not a lot of money to be made. Um, Negotiating with their landlords during the day and then putting on a brave face for their guests that night. Dealing with the... um, all the issues that came up from loan money to um, to not no not getting uh, bailouts, federal bailouts, and still cooking delicious food for people to enjoy and get nourished by on a nightly and daily basis while all of this other stuff was going on. And as you to your point, as you said, thinking about new things to do, staying creative, staying on top of their game. 
um, and and just really being in the thick of it. It was uh, it was a beautiful thing to see um, and to be a part of. And then when the outdoor dining came and everybody was allowed to have outdoor dining, to see people spend all this money that they did not have to build structures and make them attractive for people to sit in um, and paint them beautiful colors and then you know put in lights and and now heating and just I I, I could go on and on and on about it but um, but the resiliency of the eight of the industry has um, impressed even me who has been in it and and been part of it for so long I'm always impressed by it and and you know, and I would tell everybody that restaurants are the first people when they're to respond to a tragedy. Because we are such a global industry, no matter where in the world some earthquake took place or a tsunami, hurricanes, whatever it may be, somebody who works in a restaurant has a family member that has been affected by that natural disaster and who's there first and foremost with a gift certificate and 800 tasting portions at a charity event it's the chefs and the restaurants and now when the restaurants needed the help from the public and from the government it's embarrassing that they did not rise to the occasion but the rest but restaurant people have still continued to fight and i just uh and i can't uh, express enough um, admiration yeah i I totally agree it's um you know you you talked about creativity and it was really creativity out of survival right that you know if you couldn't do this we got to do what you know you got to fill in the blank and watching all the different things that people did um, was was really inspiring. Certainly, uh, I did a couple of episodes uh, all about that. You know, kind of surveying the country and seeing what people were doing. But uh, you're absolutely right. It's a it's a special industry uh, to be a part of. Um, I'm hoping that this you know the creativity lesson that we all got you know, over the course of this pandemic, you know, for the means of survival doesn't uh, escape us when we start returning, uh, that we continue to to diversify our revenue streams, um, that we continue to innovate, not just in, in what goes on the plate, but in, in how we serve people in, in the manner in which uh, we provide hospitality. From your mouth to God's ears, as they say in Fiddler on the Roof. <laughs> Let's talk about drama, because this is the this is the thing that I hear you say over and over and over again. And uh, and it goes hand in hand with story, obviously. Um, but I, I've, I've been at dinners before and, and you've turned to a chef and you've said there's just not enough drama. Where is the drama? And, and talk about that. <laughs> People eat with their eyes. You know, people eat with their eyes and they like to see the excitement um, of the food on the plate or in the flavor of the food. So it's it's a visual. And right now we're living in a very visual age. So, uh, you know, I I remember working with a client once who said, you know, why does everybody take a picture of the tempura brownie and not of the noodles? And I'm like, have you seen the noodles? (laughs) Have you seen the tempura brownie? Which do you think is going to pop out on somebody's Instagram feed? And I'm not like, you know, rah-rah Instagram or anything like that. And I'm not telling people that they should change what they do just so that it is more um, Instagram friendly because God knows that has its downfall as well. But people, you know, but but people want to see the excitement. The food has to smell. It's got to, there's got to be a, um, you know, your senses have to be, you know, have to be taken over 
by a restaurant. So that's what I mean when I say, where's the drama? You know, sometimes the food just is flat. Yeah, it's funny. When when I've heard you say that, I've really thought about, um, again, not about, you know, whether it's <laughs> Instagrammable, uh, although that's, that's part of the equation, at least right now. Um, but I think about attention, right? That the whole goal is to, especially now, we're tied to our phones, we're tied to our computers, it's, it's really hard to switch off, that what's the thing that's gonna command our attention and bring us back into the moment and, and bring us back, I mean, literally to the dinner table, um, to, to bring your attention back to what you're doing, which is eating, um, to, to what you're doing, which is you know sharing a meal with, uh, with, with friends, family, colleagues, whatever it is. And, and that is something that you get from, you know, from drama on the plate, right? Something so impressive that you're going to take a picture of it. You're also going to pay attention to it. You're going to pay attention to it more when you when you go to eat it, and you're going to talk about it because it impressed you so much. Right, exactly. The first thing people say is, "Ah, oh, that looks beautiful." Yeah. And then you, and then you know, Katie Sparks, who was my first client, um, one of my first clients, and is a very very good friend, always said to me that the chef was the most selfless of artists because they're art is devoured so quickly if it's good <laughs> so much time spent with the tweezers <laughs> exactly <laughs> so but it extends beyond the plate as well right i mean because because drama can be uh the space uh drama i think can be the service right there there's certainly steps of service uh flourishes that that people do that are, that have drama that that are enough to to garner attention and are worth talking about or mentioning a day later or or a week later um and and certainly i think the story too right you know you were talking about you know the things that the reasons why you might not take on a new client that it was you know too generic there's just no story there and i'm reminded of that old thing in marketing which is about you know going to the edges right that uh, the right. first best most last only these are these are buzzwords that are easy uh, for the for the reader or for the the diner to grab hold of Right, of course, of course. But you know, we always stay away from those words because then you have to qualify it. If you say, I'm the only one to do this, you better be the only one because yeah. <laughs> somewhere is going to find somebody. Now it's very easy. You know, all you got to do is Google, you know? So yeah. it's very easy to prove people wrong. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So then, you know, if that's typically, we've talked a lot about, you know, how you guys would typically operate. You bring on a new client, you identify the story, you know, you, you start pitching it, you start, you know, figuring out angles and, and, and delivering um, story ideas uh, to journalists, to reporters, to critics um, to help shape that. Um, tell me how that has shifted uh, over the past nine months. And again, I hate talking about the pandemic, but I'm really fascinated to know how your job, uh, how the day-to-day -day has shifted just in this time. It's interesting because a lot of it, a lot of it hasn't. Um, the we still want people. We still at the very beginning, and then once people started to dine out again, a lot of outlets, publications, meaning outlets, were concerned about telling people about a new restaurant or about a place to go and have this great dish because they knew that some people were. They felt it was insensitive because there were so many people that were not comfortable with dining out, rightfully so. So the so uh, unfortunately, a lot of the stories became about how people were coping with the pandemic. And as you said before, people were just tired of talking about it. They were just like, can't we just talk about foie gras again? You know, 
it was, it got a little, it got tedious. It really did. It got tedious, but the public needed to be informed about the steps and the measures and what, what the safety rules and, and what uh, steps restaurateurs were taking and people were taking in order to make things safe. And then obviously, um, uh, what, what food was being served so that they enjoyed themselves. Um, our work, uh, a lot of video work happened, um, chefs cooking from home, um, which uh, gave chefs sort of like, and uh, some people that weren't so TV savvy or camera savvy, they all became like their own personal little directors. <laughs> so kind of helped in that way um, and worked with a lot of people at setting up their kind of like home um, television studios, so to speak. Um, there became a lot of a lot of the outlets that have Instagram feeds of their own, which everyone does, but that have separate editorial on their Instagram feeds became very important. Um, journalists wanted to talk to chefs one-on-one and restaurateurs face-to-face over Instagram and YouTube. Um, and they wanted to know how they were coping, they were doing a, a lot of p- policy work which you know we, we we just we didn't really do much of before but getting together a lot of policy work so that came up and advocating for um, as I was talking about before federal grants um, really learning about um, what uh, what our restaurateurs needed to know and then giving them back that information so we 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 it, it pivoted in a way where we weren't necessarily getting the kind of press that we would get before, but we were reporting what the public was interested in to our clients and then reporting back to the media as to what our clients were doing to help safeguard the public. So it was interesting. Yeah, interesting. So then, you know, and, and so much of this pandemic has shifted day to day, week to week, month to month, where, you know, as we're turning into the new year, um, looking forward, where... Where are people? Where are readers? Where are diners? Where are restaurants now? Everybody's kind of displaced right now because people are still not in concentrated areas. Um, people have um, either taken to their homes or second homes and have moved various, you know, and, and have moved around and shifted around. Even writers are not in their offices on a daily basis. So it's it's kind of it's it's been a very it's been challenging to for everybody for communication. It's been challenging. Um, Obviously, the most recent shutdown of the 25% was a de- was devastating. I personally was advocating for restaurants at least to stay open through the holidays because I thought it was safer than having people do what they would probably do now, which is gather more in, in their homes. You know, that's where we found out the majority of the infections are coming from are small home gatherings. And I thought, well, if at least they're in a, if they're in a restaurant, they're in a contained environment. You know, we're we're playing by the rules. So um, I think that um, that this is this is going to be a, ne- a, a challenge. Um, the next couple of months are def- is definitely going to be a challenge for everybody. We have to buckle down and deal with it. Um, and hopefully, soon enough, um, there will be spring. Yeah, <laughs> oh, we got to. I got to get out of my house. I've been I've been trapped in you know thousand square feet in Brooklyn. Uh, for the past nine months, isn't it boring? It's so boring. Like, oh, uh, and with a and with a five year old just running back and forth and screaming, and I feel so bad for him because he just so wants to be a kid. He just wants to like hang out with his friends and go to school. He's sick of us. Yeah, we're kind of sick of him. You know, 
exactly. No, I'm sure that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother can of worms. It's just like, I don't care. There's, you know, I started to watch The Sopranos. You know, I never watched The Sopranos. Now you got the time. <laughs> I started to watch The Sopranos because I just didn't want to, you know, first of all, I stopped watching the news a long time ago until until the news start until the election when I was sitting on my hands, you know, and like gritting my biting my nails um i started to watch the news again and then um i started to watch some food shows which i had never watched before and i fell in love with a couple of them um the street foods show that's on netflix i fell in love with that i watched some of ugly delicious which i thought was really cool i i started to watch some food shows because i just missed talking about food i missed it so much so um, I was glad that Netflix was there with all of the, the chef stories to be able to tell. And then I thought, well, what what did I never get to watch from working in restaurants? Yeah. So I started to watch The Sopranos. <laughs> See, there you go. When, you know, pick up your crystal ball and, and look a little bit into the future, because I'm, uh, you know, I certainly think about this a lot. And I think uh, the listeners are obviously spending a lot of time thinking about this. You know, how will trends shift, do you think? Um you know, a couple of months ago, they were talking a lot about how people, you know, cooked so much at home and they'd gotten really good at it and that, you know, the dinner party was going to be, you know, come back into fashion, you know, on the backside of this uh, pandemic. Um, do you think that's true? What other trends do you think are, are going to uh, are going to be worth talking about, aren't going to be worth talking about? Well, I mean, I think that once people can go out to restaurants and feel safe about it, they're going to go in droves. Um, but I do think that people, again, um, during the pandemic, got very interested in home cooking. So I think that uh, we're, we're I think that we're going to see more people who have um, uh, developed a a style and a sense of cooking. So I think that we're going to see a lot more of that in terms of restaurants. I'm the one who says that I think the most exotic restaurants are going to be the one to rise to the top because everybody's tired of cooking pasta. Yeah. So- I think that the, the restaurants that are going to really get packed and busy are going to be the ones that serve food that people just couldn't make at home, you know? Yeah. So, um, so I, I am looking, I'm looking forward to that. I think that clever people and people that have the means are right now glob- gobbling up spaces um, especially in New York and across the country, they're gobbling up spaces so that they can think of new business models. I think everybody realizes that to-go delivery, even if they never did it before, I think that everybody is like, now it's a regular part of their business. Yeah. The And, and looking at new spaces, as I spoke to a client today, he said, you know, I found this really cute space that I think I want to do this quick service thing in, but it has a fire hydrant in front of it, which means we'll never be able to have outdoor dining. I said, then don't take it. Yeah, and right now you do you, you do have the the chance, you know, and unfortunately, um, you know, with this most recent shutdown that you were talking about, that's going to be, you know, anybody that was just barely surviving. There's a lot of people that were just right on the edge, and this new shutdown, depending how long it lasts, could really put the nail in the coffin for a lot of people, which is heartbreaking. Yes, I, I totally agree, and it is heartbreaking and very very sad. Um, and 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 I and I agree. Um, but I think, uh, uh, and but I think that everybody will come back. I think that we, like I said before, we are a resilient. I say, you know, restaurant people are like circus folk; they can't not perform. So, <laughs> I I have the utmost faith that everybody who closed a restaurant will be back in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. 
You know, it's interesting. Your idea about like, you know, the exotic places will win. I think the the I think the broader takeaway there is that on the other side of this, we're going to have to supply a real answer for why people should come dine at this restaurant or this restaurant or this restaurant. And simply the answer might be that the flavors are exotic. You can't get this anywhere else. Um, but but everyone, I think every restaurant owner is going to have to supply an answer to that question. I, I totally agree. And I think that people are just going to want to go back to their neighborhood haunts. They want to go back to the place to sit at the bar where they love the burger. I have to tell you that like I was, I was uh, in my house as long as anybody else was and where I'm currently staying. I was not, you know, there was, I was not uh, around all of the takeout that everybody was around to. When I came back into New York one day and had um, fried calamari, I thought I was having an orgasm. It was <laughs> I ever ate in my life. I was like, oh my God, I had no idea fried calamari tasted so good. You Who know? <laughs> so I think that um, I think that people are just going to be um, I think people and and I do think that people are gonna come out and just say, Thank you for still being here. Thank you for still being here. Yeah, so, I hope so. Um, and, and I agree, but I, but I, and I do say about people, you know, getting tired of cooking things like that at home, but I, but I do think that they're going to want to go back to their neighborhood places, see the bartender that they love, see the server that they know by name, see the maitre d', um, you know, and eat something that they have missed. So I'm, um, I'm, uh, I'm looking for, I'm looking forward to day one. Well, you know, I'm looking forward, I'm, 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 I'm hoping there is like a day one, you know, I'm looking forward to that, you know, yeah. that first day when everybody says, okay, you can go first and, day of school. Oh, right. I'm looking forward to like, you know, it being like, you know, uh, when, when the wizard of Oz goes from black and white to color. You know, yeah. <laughs> I think that's interesting about this pandemic is that hopefully it's given uh, our patrons an appreciation uh, just for what we do, uh, how good it is, uh, how hard it is to uh, to accomplish. Um, and, and, and we magically in the restaurants do it day after day after day after day. And it's consistently at a very high level. And, um, you know, when you try to do it yourself, right, when you try to make sourdough at home, when you try to make pasta from scratch at home, and, uh, you know, hopefully it gives you that appreciation when you come back and, and have the real thing. <laughs> One one hundred percent, and I think that it's going to be um, a- applauded. And I think that one of the things that um, you know has come out of this is so people, you know, so strong about people and 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 respecting each other. Um, and I think that restaurants might get a little kinder. Let's face it. Not every restaurant is kind to everybody um, because they become places where uh, hospitality sometimes flies out the window. Like we're too, we're so cool. You should be happy to be here. As I totally agree. They lose the hospitality word, and I think that um, that we're going to. I'm hoping that we go back to that um, where. There's just this, you know. I know I'm very kumbaya about about it, but um, but I want every I, I want everybody to just get along. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I you know I, I feel the same way. I feel like uh, you know the last five ten years or so of the industry, at least in my experience, is that um, 
the guest was really kind of pulled out of the equation. And, and I know that sounds strange, but um, but the, the guest is at the very heart of what we do. I mean, we, we're actually taking care of people. We're, we're nourishing them. Uh, we're taking care of them. We're, we're, we're asking them the, what they want. We're getting it for them. We're, we're taking it away. Uh, we are literally taking care of the guest. Without a guest, there's nothing for us to do. There's no one for us to, to ask what they want. And, and I'm hoping that through this, you know, to your point of like, I, I hope hospitality kind of kind of comes back into the room that we understand um, it's about taking care of people it's about you know solving people's problems you know serving them in the ways that they need to be served which is of course the you know kind of the definition the crux of uh, of marketing and i think it conveniently lines up uh, with the definition of hospitality yep 100 percent. i couldn't agree more Stephen, uh, I'm really appreciative of your time. Uh, I don't want to take up too much more of it. Um, any parting thoughts to uh, to send off to the listeners? I look forward to seeing you in all of your restaurants. If you are listeners that have them or cook in them, I look forward to coming and eating with you and celebrating with you and everybody else um, in the very near future. And um, I'm always available if anybody just needs to talk Believe me, I'm, I like being a voice for my industry, but more importantly, I like hearing from people in it. So I'm going, if it's okay, I'm, my email is steven at hallpr.com. And if anybody just wants to reach out, ask a question, say hello, talk about something, please feel free um, to reach out because, you know, we're all in this together. Yeah, perfect. You beat me to the punch. I will, of course, put that uh, in the show notes. I'll put a link to uh, Stephen's website so you can see what he does, uh, what his company has done, um, and uh, you can learn more about that there. Stephen, I so appreciate you taking the time. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Once again, I want to thank Stephen Hall for taking the time to sit and chat with me today. I hope you guys got a lot out of it. Uh, I was really taken by uh, by the similarities, and I've, I've constantly been struck by that, the similarities between uh, what I do as a marketer and what he does as a publicist. Uh, there's so much overlap. Uh, hopefully, that gives you a little bit of grounding, a little bit of information for anybody who has uh, considered using a publicist or a PR company in the past, anyone who might use one in the future. Hopefully, this gives you a better sense of how to approach those conversations. Uh, Again, 100th episode is coming up. Please take the time to uh, go leave me a message. Uh, I've got just about a week or two left before I've got to put that episode together. Uh, and then finally, I want to thank Ben Tobox again for the generous support of the Restaurant Strategy Podcast. That's it for me. Stay creative, stay safe, and I will see you next time.